Well, what a good morning for us to be together. Uh, there are three gentlemen who are going around the congregation, and if you would like to have a handout for the lesson this morning, uh, they will get one of those to you. Um, it's fill in the blank. It's not required, but if you'd like to have that to follow along with the things that we'll be thinking about this morning, they'll provide that to you. Uh, as they're going around handing that out, just to kind of warm us up and get the juices flowing a little bit this morning, I have a question for you. Uh, let's see, and this is low stakes, right? This is not super important, but let's see if you get this question right. Uh, if it'll come up on the screen. What are, oh man, what are the three, what are the three most attended or visited Sundays? Do you know the first one? Uh, you, prob you probably knew it anyway, even though I put it up there on the board too quickly. Easter is the most visited Sunday, the one where uh, across the spectrum of, of self-identifying Christian churches, Easter is the day where the most people come up and show up on a Sunday morning. Uh, number two on that list. Could you guess what's number two on the list of most attended or visited Sundays? Uh, some people have whispered Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. It's actually Christmas Eve. Um, when Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, it is the second most attended. And just so you don't get the third one wrong, I'll tell you, ironically, attendance goes down when Christmas falls on a Sunday in the surveys uh, and studies that I looked at. But number three on the list, the third most attended, and this one is especially true of visitors. You have a lot of visitors on this day and by this day, I mean today, it is Mother's Day. Mother's Day is the third most visited or attended Sunday. It's interesting to me that on all the lists that I consulted and the surveys and different things, uh, this is very consistent, these three things. You know what day doesn't show up on any of those lists, any of the lists that I consulted? Father's Day. And so you're just going to have to come back June 18th. June 18th is the day, and we'll talk more about that on that day. But considering these three, um, if I consider these three days and the, the significance of that, well, thinking about those first two, if I were to get any message across to people, any message, if you, if you said to me, Reagan, you're going to have an audience and you got one message you're going to get across to that audience, it, it would be about Christ, right? The fact that he was incarnated, the fact that, that he did, that God was manifested in the flesh, that he lived a perfect life as a man, that he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross, that he rose again the third day so that, so that we might have a relationship with him. Um, certainly we see that concept. But, but what about that third day? What about today, Mother's Day? Well, we know that the, the greatest gift that has ever been given is the gift that Christ gave. And those other two days in some ways are a summation of that. But there is a gift that is being offered today as well. It is the gift that all godly mothers want to give to their children. It is the gift of faith. And that faith is so often very clearly seen in the example that a mother gives of her own faith, of the great faith that we see and so many mothers. Thank you for being with us this morning. And if you're visiting with us because it's Mother's Day, we're grateful for your presence. Uh, if you're visiting with us for another reason, uh, we hope we afford you the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. But we're going to spend a few moments this morning thinking about mothers and one mother in particular. I would suggest that there is no greater, more honorable, earthly position than that of a mother. It is a calling of spiritual leadership and development 
first and foremost. And you think about that. Um, you become a mother, and now all of a sudden you have all of these responsibilities beyond yourself and beyond your own welfare. Uh, in many ways, the role of a mother shares those primary features of spiritual leaders. Have you ever thought about that? Spiritual leaders are called to lead, and it's often a thankless job in the moment. Well, check. I mean, for the first however many years of their lives, it is a thankless job from your children. It is a difficult daily job to be a spiritual leader. Well, check again on mothers. A spiritual emphasis is required. Check. It is a selfless, serving position where you have to give up yourself for the good of others. Check. It is a job for which you have to volunteer. Well, check. But mothers, the job you are doing as a mother, as a homemaker, is the most important job that you will ever do. It is the most lasting. It is the most impacting because it has far-reaching ramifications uh, to all who are involved in it. Motherhood is in some ways much more personal than other positions of spiritual leadership. You are entrusted with the spirits of your children by God to, to raise them in His image, to give an account for that little person or that bigger person on how you brought them up. And with that in mind, I want to suggest this morning that the greatest gift of many important gifts you might give, the greatest gift that you can give your children as a mother is as an example of what great faith looks like. Great faith like the mother that is found in Matthew chapter 15. Would you turn there in your Bible, please? Matthew chapter 15. We're going to begin reading in verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21. I have long been fascinated by this story. Uh, you know me, um, stories that have a weird element of some kind. You know, there's so many accounts in the Bible and you read through them, you say, well, that's based on my knowledge as a Bible student and as a Christian, that's what I would expect to, to happen. But there are some accounts, some stories, you read them, you say, well, that's weird. Why did it happen that way? And this is one of those accounts in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 21. And I think there are some really great and important lessons that we can learn about faith and especially the faith of a mother. Her faith is a testament to the faith of mothers everywhere. So read with me beginning in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 15. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So he leaves Galilee, he leaves the land of Israel or Judah entirely, and he goes into a foreign country, the Phoenician area of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan, Mark's account tells us that she was a Gentile, uh, a Syrophoenician by birth. So this is a Gentile woman, not a Jew. She came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, not a word. Well, like I said... Things got weird right off the bat. Jesus always answers people. Jesus always addresses people, whether they're Jew or Gentile or Samaritan. Jesus is always reaching out to people. But Jesus answers her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him saying, speak to this woman and help this woman. No, that's not what they say. Send her away, for she cries out after us. 
But he answered and said to this woman, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She came and worshipped him. She viewed this as an invitation. He's addressed me, so now I'm going to come to him. She comes and worships him saying, three words, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, again to her, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Well, who's the little dog here? It's her. Um, I think it's interesting that Jesus says little dogs here. You know, this is not German shepherds. This is not mastiffs that he's talking about. He's talking about chihuahuas, right? The little dogs, the little nippy dogs. That's what he's talking about with her. He says, you're just around nipping, 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 you know, bark, 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 bark. And it's not good to take the food of the children, that is the children of Israel, the house of Israel, and throw it to the little dogs. I mean, is this Jesus? Is this the Jesus we know? And she said, verse 27, I can't believe you'd answer me that way. No. She says, yes, Lord. Yet, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Great faith is what Jesus calls this woman's faith. And my question is, what made her faith so great? If the greatest gift that we can give to our children is great faith, what made her faith great? Well, three things that I want us to consider from the text this morning. Number one, a great faith like this mother's is faith that humbly and persistently seeks the opportunity to worship. In verses 22 through 25, she is relentless in coming to Jesus and crying out to Jesus. And when she gets even this slightest opportunity, when the door is cracked, even though the things that he says to her are not what you would call an invitation, when he speaks to her, she runs to him and worships him when she has has that opportunity. She just wants an audience with God. And here we are. Here we are as Christians. Here we are. We can approach his throne with boldness. We have that opportunity at any time, at any place. We can come and worship God. And so we need to think about that idea of our faith. And do we, in the same way, humbly and persistently seek opportunities to worship God? Obviously, that begins with the assembly. Um, All those Sunday mornings, mothers. Those Sunday mornings when you're having to get everybody ready and put smiles on everybody's faces and and you make sure that everybody's Bible lessons are done so that you can come to, to worship, you can come to Bible class. Those times, they make a difference. And all those Wednesday nights where supper has to be rushed or you go to Chick-fil-A and homework has to be postponed for Bible study, those nights speak louder than words. What do they say? Well, it says that worship is important when you make those efforts, that it is a priority and that this is what is in your heart. And today... Uh, when a lot of people are here for their mothers, no doubt, when your family comes to honor you, how have they done it? They've done it by coming to worship as a family. May our children 
be so conditioned to coming and being with the saints that it becomes second nature to them, that they wouldn't know what to do with themselves if they weren't here because this is where we always are. This is where mom always is. And so it begins at the assembly, but obviously this idea of worshiping and seeking opportunities to worship extends beyond the regular assemblies of the saints. Um, Stephanie has talked about um, her dad and and her dad, one of the, the images that is burned in his mind from growing up with his mother, so Stephanie's grandmother, is that whenever she was working about the house, and I don't even remember how many kids it is, a bunch, a bunch of kids, right? Whenever she was working around the house and about the house, he remembers from the time, as long as he can remember, that she would sing hymns as she was working around the house. That's burned in his mind that his mother was always worshiping God as she was working for their family and with their family. And that joy found in worship and work and service, that simple thing, made a generational impact, and that was passed down through the generations in Steph's family. And so I ask you, these are, these are questions just to think about. Do you pray with your kids at home? Um, is that something that you do at home? Do you talk about God with your kids at home? Do you read the Bible with your kids at home? Do you sing songs of worship? with your kids at home? Do you pray and talk about God in front of your kids? We need to be seeking these opportunities to, to worship and to emphasize spiritual things with our families. And that is a gift that a mother can give. Um, it's a gift that a father can give too, of course, and don't think that some of the things that we're talking about here are just intended for mothers. But it is something that especially a mother can have great impact with her family in. So many in the world today, um, I don't think it's too strong to say they almost, they almost worship their kids. It's all about their kids. Well, as a mother, you need to show your kids that there is one greater than them that we are all supposed to worship, and that is God himself. So this mother, she diligently and humbly sought the opportunity to worship her Lord, and in seeking, she found that, and she leaves us an example in that. Um, it's interesting to me, the second thing, when we think about her great faith and why Jesus called her faith great, I think it was a faith that diligently sought the only source of true healing for her children. And that's exactly what we should be doing as well as parents and specifically as mothers. Uh, in verse 25, she comes and worships him. And her prayer was so simple. Lord, help me. Uh, if you're a parent um, or a grandparent, uh, even if you're just someone who's had to look after kids, there are a few more helpless feelings uh, than when your kid is sick and they, you, you don't know what to do about it. Um, I don't know why, but it always seems like our kids get sick on weekends and vacation, right? It can never be during normal business hours when the doctor's office is available. We're always in some, you know, ER or urgent doc in Orlando or something, right? Like That's the way it feels like it is. And you have this helpless feeling of, I, 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 my kid's sick. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to help them? Well, imagine for a moment, imagine for a moment that your child was demon-possessed. Uh, and it's, it's weird to me, the woman in Matthew's account says that she is severely 
demon-possessed. I mean, is there like a lesser version of demon-possession? She's severely demon-possessed. And this woman was unable to help her own child, at least not directly. But when Jesus came to her region, she saw a hope of true healing for her child. And she comes with this simple prayer, Lord, help me. I think every Christian parent has probably prayed that about their children at some point. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. When their behavior was difficult, uh, when they wouldn't sleep for months on end, I know I prayed that. When they're sick, when we don't know the right thing to say or do, and they're looking to us for guidance and direction. What a powerful prayer this is, and I think what part of what makes it so powerful is its simplicity. She knew that there was help to be found, and she might not know exactly what that help was, but she knew help was there, and so she asked for that help. And if we want help raising godly children, shouldn't we ask this same question, Lord, help me? Doesn't it make sense to go to God? We all want what is best for our children, but... But do we remember that what is truly best for our children is to receive the healing that only Jesus can provide? In this case, it was casting out this spirit, this demon possession. But in our case, it is the spiritual healing that all of our children will someday need. Are we praying? Are we praying in advance for that? Are we continuing to pray for our children after they even become Christians? Are we praying for our children even after they become adults? that they would receive this spiritual healing that is found in Jesus Christ. Um, Monty mentioned this, in fact quoted this verse uh, from John. Um, in 3 John verses 2 through 4, only one chapter in 3 John, you can read it on the screen or turn in your own Bible. John says this, Beloved, loved ones, the people that I love, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health. Isn't that what we want for our children? We want them to be healthy, we want them to be happy, we want them to prosper in all things, just as your soul prospers. Uh, It's interesting, he doesn't say spirit there, he says soul. I, I think what he's saying is mentally, emotionally, physically, I want you to prosper. I want everything to be great. But there's also an aspect of spirituality in this prayer. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. Well, that's our focus for this quarter, right? Being rooted and grounded in the truth. And what's the last thing that he says? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. There's great joy. And and John, in all likelihood, is not referring to physical children, but to his spiritual children. Well, we have those too, don't we? Sometimes they're a grandchild or a niece or a nephew that's related by blood. But often there is no blood relation. Um, We have those here among our congregation. They're our kids, right? Uh, And it gives me such joy when kids are successful. We... uh, we went across the street to the baseball fields the other night, and we had Kaysen on one field, and, uh, and there was Lane and Sambo were over on the other field, and you know we're rooting them on, and we, just, we want them to do, do well. We want them to do well so badly. 
And I'm proud when they, when they do well, right? Uh, Sambo slid into home plate and he was safe, and I think he slid like 10 feet. Um, it was awesome, and we all cheered for him, right? But what is it that gives us the most joy? Do we imitate John here and that there is no greater joy for us than when we hear that our, that our children walk in the truth? When we hear that they're standing up for what is right, when we hear that they are being salt and light. And, and I think sometimes parents need that because uh, we've all had the experience that the child we have at home is not exactly the same child that other people see, right? And hopefully they act a lot better with those other people. And it gives us great joy when we say, okay, I'm not, I'm not failing in this. They're actually doing what's right. Um, I, I'll just brag for a moment on some of your kids. Uh, it was really cool to me. Um, I heard about this as a board member. I saw it on, on Facebook. Uh, there's an award only given out to, to one child in, in every grade, starting in fifth grade through seniors. Uh, and it's a, it's a special kind of citizenship award at Hudson ISD, Youth Citizenship Award. Uh, and there are only seven, seven of these awards given out for the year. Three of those were kids from Timberland, our kids, from three different families. I mean, it's not just like one family's got it figured out. Uh, and of all the things that our kids have accomplished this year and all the things that they've done, that was one of the things that gave me the most joy. Because it shows their emphasis on more than just athletics or academics. It's an emphasis on doing what's right. And do we have joy in that bittersweet moment when they put Christ on in baptism and commit their lives to Him, of course we do. But it is not just that moment that matters. It is the walking in the truth. When they go out to other congregations after graduating and become leaders among those their age or all ages, when we hear of their faith and faithfulness, their good choices in where they worship and who they marry and what they're doing with their lives spiritually. Have you told your children that this is what makes you the most proud of them? Do they know that by your actions? Is it really true that this is where the greatest joy you have from them is found? And whatever they achieve, academically or athletically or socially or financially, their faith is what gives us true joy. There's another mother in Matthew, uh, marking your spot there in Matthew 15. You're just turning a few pages to Matthew chapter 20 who misses the point in coming to Jesus on behalf of her children. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. It's interesting how much this echoes what we saw earlier in Matthew chapter 15, except now it's a Jewish woman who has the quote-unquote right to come before Jesus, but she comes before him, she kneels before him in worship, she asks something on behalf of her children. And he says to her, verse 21, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom. She wants the best for her boys, but her focus is on physical things and a physical kingdom. She was concerned with the physical, and she was, uh, I would say, more demanding 
more arrogant in her approach of Jesus instead of humility. She already had it figured out instead of looking to Jesus for guidance and what her child, her children needed. And if we focus on the physical with our children, if we are not humble enough to, as parents, ask God instead of telling God, and if we think we have it all figured out, we are setting ourselves up for failure. What we should ask of God is what is, what is best for them in His sight. That our children might be used in His service as He sees best. And then our goal as parents and as mothers is to put them in a position to achieve what is best for them and best for others spiritually. And every decision that we make should be made through this lens. How is this going to impact my child spiritually? Uh, those two things. It's not an ideal world with what we see in the, the woman in Matthew chapter 15, but if I just told you these two things, we persistently seek the opportunity to worship and we diligently seek the only source of true healing for our children, that sounds pretty idealized. Um, you know, in a perfect world, that's what we're going to do. But I think great faith, the great faith of this mother, the great faith of all mothers is found when, when things don't go according to plan, when things aren't working out the way we think they should. And the third thing that we see here in Matthew chapter 15 is that this woman's great faith was a faith that was undeterred by unexpected difficulties and obstacles in her life and in the life of her daughter. Uh, what difficulties did she face? Well, first and foremost, her daughter had a demon. E evil had invaded her home. And she was doing everything in her power to get that evil out. To get that evil out of her daughter. To get that evil out of her home. But then she comes to the only source of true healing. That's Jesus. And there's unexpected difficulties there as well. Let's read those verses again beginning in verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Um, verses 26 through 28 are some of the most surprising in the gospel. What... What do we make of what Jesus says here? Is it, is it too harsh? Yes or no? Is it too harsh to call what Jesus says here an insult to this woman? I mean, that's kind of what he's doing, right? I mean, it seems like what he's doing. I don't know anybody who would be thrilled to be called a little dog, right? And yet she responds in such a kind and general, gentle way. And I would say this about these verses that Jesus knew her heart and Jesus knew her faith. He knew how strong that faith was and what that faith could endure. I was talking with Brent Slatter before, uh, before worship, between Bible class and worship, and we, we talked about uh, how grateful we are for uh, not being 6'5", I think was the number he said, because there would be some temptations that would be afforded to us uh, throughout our lives, we were 6'5", that we hadn't had to face. Uh, and I said to him as he was walking off that the Lord will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we're able to bear, right? Because the Lord knows our faith. 
He knows what our faith is capable of. He knows the maturity of the faith and the depth of that faith. And he knows what we can overcome in, in regards to temptation, but also in regard to testing. And there is a sense in which her faith is tested here. We know the devil tempts us, but God allows us to be tested. And there are benefits for us personally in that testing. Uh, James tells us that the testing of our faith produces patience or endurance or stick to itness. But sometimes I believe the Bible bears out that God allows our faith to be tested, not just for our own benefit, but allows that, te- that faith to be tested for the benefit of others. And how we respond, how you respond as a mother in those moments of testing could be, could be for the benefit of somebody else. Why did Jesus respond the way that he did with this woman? I believe it was for the benefit of the disciples that they could see what real, genuine, good faith looked like. Jesus is making a point to his disciples that this, this is what real faith is, not that hypocritical, easily offended faith of the Pharisees. If you go back there in verse 12, his disciples come to him as Jesus has pronounced some woes on them, and especially on the scribes and Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And notice what his disciples say to him in verse 12. Now these are Jesus' followers, his disciples, and they came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Now, if you were a Jew in the first century world, you would put up on a pedestal the Pharisees and say, that's the kind of faith that I want to have. You certainly wouldn't look at some woman from the the region of Phoenicia. I mean, mean, that's, that's anathema in regard to faith in Jehovah. And what Jesus does is he says, you see their faith, they're offended by my saying. Well, let me say something truly offensive to this woman. And look at how she responds in that moment. Her response is not to be offended. Her response is in faith. Because real faith is not so easily shaken like these Pharisees. Real faith is undeterred by such things. And this woman, she could have given up hope. She could have gotten mad and stormed off at what Jesus said. She could have refused Jesus' help and guidance because of his tone toward her. But her faith and her love for her child would not allow that kind of response. And Jesus calls it great faith. Jesus only uses that term one other time in all of the Bible and Uh, in all of Matthew, I should say. And ironically, it's with another Gentile. It's with that centurion who says, just say the word and I know my servant will be healed because I'm a man under authority too and I know you have authority over all things. And Jesus says, I've not seen such great faith, not even in Israel. And here he is, not in Israel again, and he sees another person of great faith. This is the kind of faith that is not is not affected by the initial response or time or distance or any other such trivial physical thing. This kind of faith sees God's power and truly believes. 
and trust that he can do anything in his majesty. This kind of faith sees him as Lord of heaven and earth. And this woman's faith was not deterred by circumstances, even though it was difficult, even though Jesus' message was harsh and unusual. Her faith was not deterred by these difficulties and obstacles. And our faith, our faith needs to be undeterred by our past sins and shortcomings, maybe our past beliefs, what others think of us, what others have done to us, or other physical barriers to faith. And if mothers, if you can display a faith like that to your children, no matter their age, there's no greater gift that you can give them. Whatever has happened, whatever will happen, you will keep the faith. You will be that kind of anchor to your children. It is a faith like Job. Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. And that kind of faith is persistent in approaching God until an answer is given to prayer. Um, What do you pray for your children? I pray a lot of things. I I pray that they will both develop their own faith and will someday become faithful uh, Christians. I pray that if they marry, that they will marry faithful Christians. I pray that they will be salt and light in this world. I pray that when they leave this world someday, they will go to heaven. Let us pray for our children daily and fervently. Let us pray it no matter the circumstances. Let us pray it even when they're adults. Let us pray it when they're faithful. And let us pray it even when they are, heaven forbid, when they are unfaithful. Because that prayer shows our faith. And the actions that are motivated by that prayer show our faith to them. And as a kind of last word of encouragement, mothers, this kind of faith can make an impact for generations. Um, Turn to one last scripture, if you would. Uh, Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll look at a verse in verse... 5 of chapter 1, and then uh, 2 verses in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. In verse 5 of chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy. And he says that he calls to remembrance the genuine faith that is in him. I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Then in chapter 3, he references these women again in verses 14 and 15, 2 Timothy 3, 14, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He's known them since when? Since childhood. And it's not lost on me that Timothy's father, who we understand was Greek, is not mentioned. And we don't know the exact circumstances of all of that, but but surely it was more difficult trying to raise a son to be a follower of God in an environment where there was no help from the father. And yet Timothy, with all of his faith, was produced in that environment. And I look around here and I look at these mothers. Uh, I thought a lot about this over this week. Um, 
and I thought about the women who would be here today, and I am amazed at what you do. What some of you have gone through physically or emotionally or spiritually, and yet still, your faith is strong, and you are doing everything you can to pass that faith on to your children. You are giving this gift of great faith to your children. God bless you for that. And as Proverbs 31:28 says, may your children, not just on Mother's Day, but every day, rise up and call you blessed. That's what today's about, Mother's Day, honoring them. But if you're here for your mother today, or your grandmother, or the mother of your children, uh, to uh, appease them, humor them, if you're here because of her faith, because it's important to her, let me ask you to just do one thing. Can you do one thing for me? Ask her. Ask this woman of faith. Ask her what she thinks you should be doing spiritually. Open that door for her to express her faith to you. And then listen carefully to her reply and consider seriously what it is she says you should do. In fact, that's a great, that's a great exercise for everyone who has a mother who is living, who has given them this gift of great faith. And of course... Our mothers can only do so much. At some point, we have to make, make their faith our own. Our faith must be our faith. And there is no greater gift that we can give in return to our mothers, not just to appease them or honor them, but in sincerity when we make our own commitment to do what's right, when we show our own faith in Christ. And if you're here this morning and you know you need to come to Him and put Him on in baptism, come now, while together we stand and while we sing.